Today's July 15th, isn't it? You guys don't even know? I think it is, right? All right, let's start a new series today. I think it's July 15th. I'm so happy to see you. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. I am pumped. This is a great day. This is a great week. You already saw the little promo about Sawyer Trap. I'm really excited for you guys to meet him. He was here in our first service. So you'll have to come this Wednesday because you weren't here in the first service. You didn't wake up early enough to meet him. Or you were watching the World Cup. Is that going on this morning? Some of you watching? Who won? Or, or does somebody have it like T-Boat? France, probably. Probably. We don't know yet. Is it still going on? Oh, <laughs> well, you'll never know. Hopefully you DVR'd it. Okay, nobody can yell out the score either in the, game, in the middle of the service, okay? I'm looking at you, Bobby. Yeah, he's like, not, not a soccer guy. Football. Okay, well, it's so good to see you. Um, Sawyer Trap is going to be here Wednesday uh, night. Make sure you guys are looking forward to that. You got to see a little bit and hear from Dan Nelson. We've got a mission team going down there in a few weeks. Also, I got this email from Jimmy this last week because we have a team right now in Estonia. He said, quick praise, Walt led three girls to Christ. And I was like, awesome. So here's Walt up here, and he's talking with a, a young guy. But um, Walt is just doing great at cross-cultural ministry there, and already three young ladies decided to follow Jesus by the ministry that he and the, our whole team are doing there. So that's exciting. Continue to pray for them. Pray for Dan and Melinda Nelson this week, and keep it up. Keep it up, because I know your prayers helped with that. Because we're all about helping people follow Jesus, aren't we? That's what we're about here at Stapleton Church. And part of that means as we follow Jesus, we go out and do what Jesus did in our neighborhoods where we live. So that's why we're starting this series today. Last week, we finished up a short series through the small book of Titus. And we finished that by saying, okay, well, what is a healthy church? Well, one of the things is a healthy church has an impact in its community, does something. And we said that we are saved for good, for good. And I'm not stuttering because we are saved for good permanently, right? For the purpose of good, saved for good, for good. So that's what we ended on last week, and I said, if you come back this week, we're going to talk about how we do that. So we're going to start where we live. Yeah, it needs to go broader than that. Yeah, it needs to go around the world, but it's got to start at least where we live. We've got to love our actual neighbors. So that's what we're going to do in this series. It's a short three-week series, but we're going to learn to love our neighborhood, where we live, right where we are. Because we all live in different neighborhoods. Our church, of course, is situated right between like three neighborhoods, Stapleton to the north, um, North Aurora to the south, and just west we have Park Hill. So some of you guys are from those different neighborhoods. If, if you're from Stapleton South of 70, could you raise your hand? Just say, yeah, I'm Stapleton South of 70. For those of you that are up in Northfield, raise your hand. Those in Park Hill, do we have some Park Hill lights? Park Hillians, however you say it. How about North Aurora? Okay, we've got a few people. What about over in Green Valley Ranch? Now we have some people, Green Valley Ranch. Montbello, Anybody? Okay, I know I haven't named some neighborhoods. Uh, Lowry? Any Lowryites? Okay, we've got a few Lowrys. Okay, what about some, if, if it's a neighborhood that I didn't mention, could you just shout it out? Thornton. Thornton. So we've got people coming from all over the place. We had some Englewoods in the first service. We're from all different areas here around Denver, and what's really cool is that we come here to worship, but then we're going to go out, right? So we can have a huge impact right where we are, right where we live. So that's where we're going to start. Yes, it's going to grow from there, but that's where it's going to start in this series. And I'm going to challenge you to do that, to love our actual neighbors. Because what can happen, and I feel this way too, is that there are so many needs and so many people around us. Just in the Denver metro, three million people, so many homeless people that we see, so many needs around us, so many organizations we can help, so many people asking for our money, 
Even the church is asking for money. All these people, how can I do all this? How can I give all this money? How can I do so much? There's so much need. And what can happen is that we look at it and we say, I can't do everything for everybody, so we end up doing nothing for nobody. Right? There's this great book called The Art of Neighboring, and it's by two pastors. One's a former pastor, but here in the Denver area. And, and there's this quote from their book, uh, The Art of Neighboring, and they say, when Jesus was asked to reduce everything in the Bible into one command, he said, love God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself. What if he meant that we should love our actual neighbors? You know, the people who live right next door. So that's where I want to start. This, this book is a great kind of like starting off point. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to do some if you have. Um, but what we're going to do today as we lay the foundation for this series, so how we can go out into our neighborhood and actually make a difference, love people, serve people, um, have them help them to follow Jesus. How can we do that? What we're going to need to do today is to figure out what it means to be a neighbor. And we're going to talk about a very famous story, a parable that you all know, right? The Good Samaritan. You heard it? Heard of it? Maybe. A few of you have heard of it. Yeah, uh, there's one over here who has. In fact, I think this is probably the most famous parable that Jesus ever told, right? Maybe the most famous parable ever. In, even including Aesop, right? This is such a parent, uh, favorite story of many people, and it's so good. In, I mean, we even talk about it in our culture. It becomes lingo. When you see someone doing something really good, you call them a good Samaritan. There's hospitals that are good Samaritan hospitals. There's good Samaritan organizations. There's even laws we make. If you case you do something good and then something bad happens, you're protected by good Samaritan laws, right? In a lot of states. So it becomes part of our vernacular, part of our language, and I think what happens is that many people, even us, have forgotten the point of the story. I really think so. So we're going to re-examine it today with some fresh eyes, because I think we miss the point. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, go ahead and jump there, verse 25. But we're going to actually jump in a little bit after that here in just a second. But um, before I do... I, I I, I got an email the other day, yesterday it was, from Gary Lidholm, our lead pastor, or lead elder. I'm the lead pastor. Got to remember who I am. But Gary sent me an email saying, hey, you know, the week before you got here, I preached a message on this parable of the Good Samaritan. I said, oh, oh, that's awesome. So he sent it to me, and I thought it was really cool. I read through it. It was just the week before I got here, so I wanted to read a section from it to you. So he told you guys this. Do you remember? Somebody's nodding their head. I hope you guys remember. It was like a year and a half ago. He said, here we are with a new pastor on the way, and it is a somewhat different scene for our church. As near as I can tell, he is probably the youngest pastor the church has ever had at age 29. I'm going to be 31 in a month, so I've aged a whole bunch since I've been here. I've got gray hairs coming in. Somebody was like heckling me in the first service for saying that. But I do. They're coming in. You can see them. By his own admission, Gary wrote, a millennial, perhaps God brought him to us where our church is located in a community of millennials. Regardless, he will minister to people of all generations, not only in our neighborhood, but in all the neighborhoods around us. And he is aware of that. So I think we need to ask ourselves the question today as we do a little self-examination, undertaking a new step in our church history, just who are our neighbors? How are we going to reach and serve them? So I think that's interesting. That's kind of what he set up, and it's taken me a year now to get to this subject. But this is really what we're about, like loving our neighbors as ourselves. So that's what I want to focus on. So Gary was already pointing you guys, are at, hey, are you ready for this? Are you getting ready for this? So that's what we're going to talk about. How can we love our neighborhood, starting with the neighbors that live actually next to us? 
live next to us in our different neighborhoods. So in Luke chapter 10, um, I'm going to jump into the middle of this story because Jesus is dialoguing with this guy who comes to him. We'll look at that in a second. And they're asking each other's questions. And then Jesus tells this parable after the man asks a specific question. And in verse 30, if you're following along in your Bible, Jesus says, hey, I want to tell you this story. A man, he says, was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let's, we don't need to put that up yet. From Jerusalem to Jericho. And this was from the capital to a smaller town about 17 miles outside of Jerusalem. This was actually a pretty dangerous road to travel because it was kind of rocky. It was going downhill below sea level. And there was a lot of caves alongside the road where brigands would live, robbers, and that's what happened. This man is walking along the way, and out come some robbers who beat him up, strip his clothes, steal everything he has, and leave him half dead on the side of the road. So then we're told about a man who was walking along that same road. The first man was a priest. He was a Jew. A priest. And this priest is walking. So this priest was probably at service in the temple in Jerusalem, doing great things for God, a great man of God, right? He's, he's like a pastor. He's like a pastor. He's doing good work vocationally for God, serving there in the temple, helping out everybody else to worship God and offer sacrifices. And he's headed home, most likely. So when he walks along the road and he sees this poor man half dead, he stops and helps him. You guys know the story, right? That's not what happened. Some of you guys are like, I don't know. Maybe you haven't heard this story. Maybe. He doesn't help him, does he? This priest, this man of God, this religious leader, goes to the other side of the road and keeps on his journey. And then a second man, Jesus says, comes along. And this second man is a Levite. A Levite. So this man was from the tribe of Levi. This was a tribe set aside. They didn't have their own region in Israel. They were the people who served in the temple and served God, but they weren't the priests. This was like the assistant pastors. This was the church staff. This was people that worked at a, a missions organization or a nonprofit, right? Very religious people as well, serving God vocationally. So this Levite comes and finds this man on the side of the road, and he stops and helps. No, you guys are following. That's not what happened. He passes to the other side of the road and continues on to Jericho. But then a third man comes, a... Samaritan. Okay, you guys got that one, right? And he passes on to the other side of the road as well. No, he doesn't. So this Samaritan, and not a religious person, not part of the Jewish people. In fact, these people, the Samaritans, were considered dogs. That's what they're called in the New Testament. They were mangy, ugly dogs. Ugh, scavengers. They are unclean. They aren't part of the people of God. You know, they have even taken the Bible and they've messed with it. Because in the Bible it says you're supposed to worship in the temple, but these people were part of the northern tribes, and they couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem, so they changed the Bible, rewrote it to say they had their own mountain in the area of the northern tribes where they were supposed to worship. They messed with the Bible. They changed the Bible and, and cut out a whole bunch of books. So these people were religious weirdos. Jews did not like Samaritans. They did not eat with Samaritans. They didn't talk to Samaritans. They were the other outcasts. But here's the Samaritan walking along the road. And he sees the man lying half dead on the side of the road. And it says he had pity on him. He stopped. And this man who's wounded there, half dead, he bandages him. He takes some alcohol and pours it in the wound to clean the wound. And then some oil to help soothe the pain the man must have been experiencing. 
he bandages him up and puts him on his donkey. His donkey. The, the ride that he had to get where he was going. He gave up his seat and then he walked the rest of the journey pulling this man along to Jericho. And when they reached the town, this Samaritan found an inn that would take in this poor, hurt, wounded man. He carries him in and he pays the man two days' wages. He says, I, keep him here, take care of him, feed him, and I will come back and if I owe anything else for this man's work, for, for this man's stay here, I will pay it. So I tell you that story. Many of you have heard it before. If not, I probably jogged your memory. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. But what I think is really interesting is the question that Jesus then asked this man who had come to Jesus, and they were in this conversation. They were asking each other's questions. Jesus tells this story, and then he asks a question here in verse 35, if we can pull that up, Kevin. I'm sorry, 36. Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of of robbers. Which of these three was a neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We have a mic on or something. Maybe I should just not stand right there. Okay. Go and do likewise. Okay, so look at this. Jesus asked a question to this man who had come to him, right? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? And we heard the story already, right? So I want you to just imagine, just, just for a second, step back. Some of you know this. But what do you think the question that this man asked Jesus was? You just heard the story. You just saw the question Jesus asked. I would think that the man asked him something like, what is a neighbor? Or who is a neighbor? What is a neighbor like? Because Jesus says, which of these three men was a neighbor? He said, the one who had mercy on him. He's describing who a neighbor is. But that's not the question the man asked. And sometimes we miss that question. And I think because of that, we miss the main point of this parable. And this is why I say this. Because when I talk about this story, and I have before, when I talk with people and they bring it up on their own, because everybody knows this story, they always ask, well, do I need to pull over and help that homeless people? That guy on the side of the road? Do I need to help that person who's down on their luck? Do I have to help him or her? How much do I need to give? Is there a limit? How much time do I need to give? Is one day a week enough? People are always asking me questions like this. And I think we're missing the point of the parable. I felt this way too. Well, how much do I need to give? If it's two days wages, well, how much would that mean for me? So if I give two days wages, then I'm good, right? We think of all the limits that we should put on ourselves. Maybe not that person, they're a drug addict. Maybe not that person because they're going back to jail again. I'll help these people, but not those. That's what we do. And we're missing the point. So I want us to go back and rethink this story. We're going to look at the context. Now, if you've ever studied the Bible or heard of how to study the Bible, the first rule they always tell you is look at the context. What's going on around the story? What's going on around that verse you're looking at? Let's make sure it actually says that in context. So, like the first rule of Bible study. First rule of Bible study. So we're going to look at the context of the story because I want us to go back and look at it with fresh eyes. And here's why. So I really like Malcolm Gladwell. Some of you have read his books. I've read a whole bunch of them. And he has a podcast called Revisionist History. Really interesting listening. And what he has done, he's in his third season now. He goes back and looks at 
time and events in, in history, usually American history, and he says, hey, we got it wrong. And we look back and he looks at the actual facts of something that happened and, and casts it in a new light. And whether you agree with him or disagree, it's really thought-provoking because you're like, I didn't know that. I thought I knew the story, but now I was wrong. He even does things like the man who gave $350 million to, to Harvard and was praised in all the news. It's the greatest man. He looked at it and said, actually, they really don't need $350 million. They have billions and billions of dollars that they're not doing anything with. Why are we praising that guy? Why does he do, actually do something good? So he looks at those, and whether you agree with him or not, it's really thought-provoking to say, hey, let's rethink these things we thought we knew. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to revise history, not changing history, but revising the way we see the history that Jesus taught in this story in Luke. So let's jump back to the beginning in verse 25, because this story that Jesus told is told to a man in a specific situation. It's really going to help us to look at it with fresh eyes. Verse 25, we read, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That's so important. Luke is the narrator here. He was investigating Jesus. He was kind of like a historian or a reporter, and he was telling about this. And his narration, what he talks about in this story is so important. Because he says this man was there to test Jesus. Remember that. Teacher, he asked. He calls him rabbi. So this seems pretty respectful. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that was a pretty good question. It's a pretty good question. A lot of you have that same question. We have that question today. What must I do? This is a very important question in Jesus' day because in the Old Testament, it talked about eternal life. It talked about life after the grave. In Daniel 12, 2, it said, all of us will be raised to life, some to eternal life and some to eternal judgment. Okay, so people were like, well, how do I get eternal life? That's what I want. I want to go to heaven after I die. So how do I get there? And what you find in the Old Testament, it often talks about this, what happens after you die, but it doesn't really talk about how to get there. It's kind of vague. It's kind of hazy. So people were debating this and arguing about it, all the rabbis of the day. This was a regular question. This is a very good question. I hope we ask this question. How do I get eternal life? But remember, this lawyer, this man trained in the law, was trying to test Jesus. And it says in the law, it is talking about the Old Testament law. This is probably someone who had learned at a rabbinical school, had maybe become a rabbi or a Pharisee himself, very religious, knew a lot. He's coming to test Jesus. So what is it, Jesus? And Jesus responds in verse 26. What is written in the law? You're the lawyer. You've studied it. How do you read it? How do you interpret the Old Testament? In verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty good answer, right? It's a really good answer. In fact, that's what Jesus said in verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. He answered correctly because that's the exact same thing Jesus asked when someone told him to summarize the entire law. 600 plus laws in the Bible. If you were going to summarize them all, you could get them in two. Love the Lord your God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Summarizing all these rules, all these laws, that's how you put it together. So Jesus had said this on a different occasion. He's like, man, you got it right on. You know, maybe this guy had heard Jesus say that. But he's there to test him, isn't he? He's there to test him. Because when I read that, if you're really serious and you're looking at it and you're saying, do I really love God with everything I am? 
I mean, all my heart. Do I give all my heart in worship? Some of you guys were just sipping your coffee like, oh my gosh. I wish I was watching the World Cup. Hopefully you weren't there. But you know, we don't. We keep parts of our lives too. Like, God, you can have this much of my life, but not that section. I'm keeping that for myself. That's okay, right? Christians can do that. We don't love God with all our heart. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do we really do that? We love some people. There's other people we cannot stand. So we should feel convicted when Jesus says that. Okay, you've answered correctly. You've got it. If you are perfect and you love God perfectly and love other people perfectly, you've made it into heaven. That's what the law says. Jesus is repeating this man. He's got it right. Then the next verse is so important. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, the lawyer. So he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbor? Now, we already looked at the story. That's what Jesus is going to explain next. And and we said the question would have been something like it seemed like, well, what is a neighbor like or who is a neighbor? But instead, this man is asking, who is my neighbor? It's really important that I, I want you to see this. And what's so important here is that Luke says that he was trying to justify himself. Don't miss this. We often do, and that's why we got off in saying, okay, well, do I help homeless people? Do I pick up hitchhikers? How much do I help? How much do I give? Do I give to that person? They're just going to waste my money and abuse it. We're always asking that question because we're asking the same question that this man asked. And who is my neighbor? But Jesus answers a different question. Justify. We talked about this last week. The simple way to remember it is, it's just as if I never sinned. But it's the declaration of a judge Saying, you are justified, you are right, you are righteous, you are innocent, you are in the right, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And as we stand before the judgment seat of God, after we die, God is going to look at us and say, okay, are you justified or not? Are you righteous or are you unrighteous? Will you go and have eternal life with me in my kingdom, or will you be separated from me for forever? But this man didn't care If God justified him, does he? He wanted to justify himself. And that's what we do when we're asking this question, who is my neighbor? Because what he's doing as a lawyer is trying to decide, well, who do I love and who can I get away with not loving? Where's the line to draw? How much? Who can I say I love that person but not love that person? I want to know the the minimum requirement so I can get into heaven and I'm going to do no more. We know this because as I was studying this week, I got to look at some Jewish literature around this same time of Jesus. And this was actually a debate that rabbis and and the learned Jewish people were having. Who do I love and who do I not love? Is it okay to love this person and not this person? So in the book of Sirach, now this is not in the Bible. This is extraneous stuff, but it's interesting because it tells us how Jews were thinking at the time. In their book of wisdom, Sirach, it says, Give to the devout, but do not help. The sinner. This was common rabbinical teaching at the time. You, you help good people, but don't help bad people. And in another place, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, maybe some of you have seen that exhibit at the, the, the museum, we read, hate all the children of darkness, eternal hatred for the men of the pit. So love good, righteous people, but hate everyone else. This is what they said was acceptable. 
Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you know anything about that, you can go see that exhibit. It's really cool. But this was a group of Jews that were so devout that they kind of created their own little cult almost. They went to a, a village called Qumran right there on the Dead Sea, and they wanted to separate from everybody because they didn't want to be infected with all those sinners and unrighteous out there. We can love our people, but anybody else, no, we hate them. So this was very common thought in Jesus' day. So when this lawyer comes to him, he knows about these debates that are happening and that most people are saying, love your own kin, but not anybody else. Love the people who are good and are not going to abuse what you give to them and how you help them. To the alcoholics, don't, don't help those people, help the good people. So Jesus jumps right into that because they're all asking, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I need to love? Who can I not love? But Jesus says, you are asking the wrong question. When you're trying to decide who is it okay to help and who not to help, when you're asking how much do I give and how how much can I keep for myself, you're asking the wrong question all around. That's why Jesus doesn't answer who is my neighbor. He instead says, this is a neighbor, doesn't he? This Samaritan is a neighbor. That's why we call him the good Samaritan. He flips it on his head. Jesus is saying in this to, the, to the, this religious leader and to us that we are asking the wrong question. And when you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. You know, when, when you're in a, working on your business, if you're always asking the question, well, there's a really hard time, there's all this terrible stuff happening in the economy, how are we going to make it through? If that's the question you're asking, you're asking the wrong question. You should instead be asking, business people will tell you, well, how can I take advantage of this situation? Because then your business can really skyrocket. Or, or when you're having a fight with your spouse and you're like, okay, where do we go on vacation? Do we go here or do we go there? And you're fighting, okay, who's going to win, right? That's the question we always ask. Who's going to win? Who's going to win out? Instead, we should be asking, how can both of us win, right? How can we find something that both of us agree on? Or we go here this time and there next time, right? Or, or figure out a vacation where both of us can be happy. We want to find the win-win. But if we're asking the wrong question, we're going to get the wrong answer. And Jesus says we're asking the wrong question. We're asking, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Instead of, am I a neighbor? Jesus doesn't want us to figure out out there, do I love that person or not that person? Duck, duck, goose. He says, no, no, look at yourself. Am I the neighbor that I am supposed to be? So here's the big idea. Don't ask. Who is my neighbor? Ask, am I a neighbor? Because Jesus gives this great story about there's these two guys who aren't a good neighbor and this third guy who is. Be like him, go and do likewise. He's not asking, okay, well, he doesn't say look for the person on the side of the road. If they're half dead and they've just been beaten up and robbed, help that person. Jesus doesn't say that, does he? We get that mixed up. That's what we're thinking in our minds. How do I help that person? Jesus doesn't say that. He says, look elsewhere. Look at the man who was a good neighbor and be like him. Look inside yourself. Look in your heart. And that's why that scribe, he responds. He knew the answer to the the question that Jesus had. He said, it's the Samaritan. He says, it's the man who showed compassion, right? He doesn't say it's the Samaritan. He said, it's the man who showed mercy. The man who had pity on this man on the side of the road. Jesus wants us to look into our heart. Do I have compassion? Do I have pity? Am I the neighbor that I am supposed to be to those around me?
So what I want to do is give you four different aspects from this story that Jesus tells of what a neighbor is. So if we're supposed to ask ourselves, am I a neighbor? Well, what is a neighbor? There's four different points that I picked up from this passage, and there's probably more. The first one is that neighboring is needed. This man was on the side of the road in need. He was half dead. There are needs of people around us. And it's needed. Somebody needs to help them. Somebody needed to help this man or else he wouldn't just be half dead. He would be full dead. Somebody needed to help this man. And what we do, like I said, is we get so overwhelmed because there is so much need around us that we end up doing nothing. But what I love about this story is Jesus said this guy was good because he helped one person. Jesus doesn't say then he went on and helped every single straggler on the side of the road forever and gave all of his money away. He just says he helped one man and that was the neighbor. I heard Andy Stanley say this once and it's really helpful. To do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because sometimes we're like, well, I want to give this money here and this money there so I'm I'm not going to give any money or I'm only going to give this money. But just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You can't help everyone, but you can't help someone. You can't. So that's what neighboring is about, helping someone. There is a need, and you can meet it. And if it's too big for you, meet as much as you can. Neighboring is needed. Here's the second thing, is that neighboring is inconvenient. You might think, well, it was kind of inconvenient for the the priest and the Levite to cross to the other side of the road, but they were only really going out probably six yards away. Do you know why they did that? Why they did that? Because it's unclean to be by a dead body, according to Jewish custom, according to the law. And these men were both coming from the temple. They had probably had to go through at least a week-long process to get clean, and they had just been in the temple, they're clean. They probably want to stay as long as they can without getting unclean again so they don't have to go through the ritual purifications again. Man, that's a hassle. It takes a whole week to, that you're going to be unclean. So they're going just as far enough, and, and the, the rules that they had laid down, they had kind of parsed all the lawyers of the day, said, oh, you have to be six yards away. Six yards away, and then you won't become unclean by that dead person. So they're just saying, hey, I don't want to have to get clean again. It would be inconvenient. It would be inconvenient to give up my spot on the donkey and have to walk the rest of the way. But that Samaritan was willing to be inconvenienced. He was willing to be inconvenienced. Um, I heard a story, this true story, back in March. There was a plane that was going from New York City to Shanghai. And about halfway on the trip, there was a woman who could not breathe. She was struggling, she was dying. The doctors on board, the medical people couldn't help, and and the pilot said, well, we've got to land this plane. Well, guess what? The plane was too heavy for the runways there in Alaska. It was too heavy. So as the the plane is uh, descending, he booted out 30 tons of fuel. 30 tons because he had too much, and if he got rid of that fuel, then he could land, and he did. He saved this woman's life. But sometimes we have so much going on in our life, so many heavy things weighing us down that we can't stop to help. A pilot could have just said, well, this is going to add a whole bunch of hours to our trip. People are going to be delayed. It's going to cost the airline a ton of money. We're going to have to refuel. No, he said, no, we've got to get rid of that stuff so we can do what we need to help. It is inconvenient to be a neighbor. But that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Am I a neighbor? I want to tell you this. If you do not have time to help someone else out, you are not doing what you're supposed to do with your time. 
you don't have enough money to help other people out and to give, you're spending your money on things you're not supposed to. But it's true. We need to sometimes get rid of those things that are inconveniencing ourselves so we're ready to stop, to be interrupted, to help. Uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, a pastor out east, he says, two people see an interruption in this story. One person sees an invitation. I love that. Do we see an interruption or an invitation to help? Here's the third thing about neighboring. It is crossing lines. What's so interesting about this is that this man was a Samaritan, but Jesus actually uses him not to say go out and help Samaritans, but no, no, no. The Samaritan who you don't like, who you despise, who you think is a dog, he is the example of how you're supposed to live. He is the good neighbor. Be like him. Ooh, that must have hurt those Jewish ears. Today it would be like saying to a Jew, it's the Palestinian who's the good neighbor, or to the Palestinian, it's the Israeli who's a good neighbor. Those, oh, that's hard to hear. But we all have lines in our life that are hard to cross. That there are certain types of people or people who live in a certain location or of a certain race or ethnicity or speak a different language than us, and it's hard to go across the line and help that person. That person, that homosexual, that person, do I have to really help them? Political lines? Ooh, do I really have to help that person with a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker? Do I really have to help that person with a MAGA hat? Oh, We have these lines, don't we? This person I'll help and this one who's not, but that's because we're asking the wrong question. We're asking who is my neighbor instead of am I the neighbor to that person I don't really like. There's a great Peanuts cartoon and Linus says this, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. It's hard, but we have to cross lines. We have to cross lines to love people that we don't even like, that aren't like us, that aren't like us. And here's the fourth thing. Neighboring is costly. It's costly. It, it costs us a lot of time, of energy, of money. I mean, think about the Samaritan. He gave up two days' wages, plus he said, whatever I owe, when I come back, I'll pay it all. As far as we know, when the story was over, he never got paid back. Lost all that money, gave it away, and it was gone. But that's what happens. It's costly. We give and we give and we give. But the amazing thing is that always God gives you more. Mother Teresa talked about this. She said, I have found a paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no more hurt but only more love. God can work in you and you feel like, I don't have any more to give, but then he gives you the strength to give even more. I don't have any more money and then God provides even more. Neighboring is costly. And that's why we're supposed to ask ourselves, am I the neighbor? And what I love about this story is that it really does point us forward to what Jesus did for us after he told this story, after he had this conversation, after he tried to reframe that lawyer's thought, reframe our thought to not ask who is my neighbor, but am I the neighbor? Because what Jesus did was that he became the good Samaritan to us. He was different than us, but he came to love us, to serve us, to have compassion and pity on us. Even when we were just dead on the side of the road, dead in our trespasses and sins, he loved us anyways. He came to love us and care about us and nurture us back to health. But what's amazing was Jesus was not just the good Samaritan, but he was also the man on the side of the road. 
Because Jesus, though he didn't deserve it, was attacked by men. He was beaten. He was robbed. They took his clothes and cast dice to see who would get to keep him. They spit on him, mocked him, and they didn't just leave him dead on the side of the road. They killed him. They hung him on a cross. And to make sure that he had actually died of asphyxiation, they stabbed him in the side to make sure he was dead. Well, what's amazing is that in the cross, both the Good Samaritan and the man on the side of the road meet. And that's why in Isaiah 53 we are told, by his wounds we are healed. It's Jesus' death on the cross that comes to us to show us how to serve others, how to love our neighbors as ourselves, how to be the neighbor. Jesus didn't care. Should I save that person? Man, they're terrible. No, he died for us anyways. He gave himself. His wounds made the way so that we can be reconciled to God. By his wounds, we have been healed. And what's amazing is that in this story, we realize that sometimes we don't have that heart of pity. We don't feel compassionate to the needs around us. But God wants to give us a new heart. And as we believe in him, God will replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh so that we will want to help people, want to serve people. And when we remember that God was compassionate with us, how can we not be compassionate with others? When he had pity on us when we did not deserve it, how could we not have pity on the person in need? If Jesus was willing to be a neighbor for me that would cost him everything, how could I not then be a neighbor for those around me? So I want to challenge you to ask the right question. Stop asking, who's my neighbor? How far do I go? Who can I help and not help? Ask, am I the neighbor that I'm supposed to be? Am I the neighbor that I'm supposed to be? And how can I help someone? So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You ready for that? You don't always get homework in church, but you got some this week. In your bulletin, you're going to see that there's this little chart I have, and, and I got this idea from The Art of Neighboring, that book I mentioned at the beginning. But I want you to start where you live. Because sometimes we don't know the needs of those around us because we don't even know them. We live in apartment buildings or in houses. We drive into our uh, garage. The garage door goes down and we keep our blinds shut. We never even meet the people around us, right? So I want to challenge you to get to know your neighbors this week. That's your homework assignment. Before we can talk about how we're going to go help those neighbors next week and how God has put us in a specific location for a specific purpose, that's next week's message. We've got to know who our neighbors are. So I'm going to challenge you to get to know your neighbors. You have that little chart. I want you to think about the people that live around you and write their names in there. Get to know them. Write a little bit about them. Maybe you already know a few. Get to know the rest. And this is what I'm telling you. Go knock on their door. Maybe bring them cookies. That's a good way to get them to answer the door. But knock on their door and say, if you're embarrassed and, and you're like, I've lived here eight years and I still don't know who this person is. Just knock on their door and say, you know, I was given a homework assignment by my pastor. I need to get to know my neighbors. And I'm sorry that I haven't done that, but I want to do it. You know, that's a good way to start the conversation. Just say it's a homework assignment. You have an in right there. And they're going to think, well, okay, that's kind of cool. But you'll get to know them and you'll find out things about them. So write some of the things you learn. And maybe if they have needs right then, you can write them down. And maybe you can help them right then. But maybe it will just be developing the relationship. So later on down the road, when there is a need, you're there. You know them already. You know how to help. You know, um, I've been amazed because what happens is that when we begin to do this as a church, as we go off to our different neighborhoods, Montclair and, and Park Hill and 
in Northfield and all the neighborhoods that we live in is we're going to spread out. And if we get to know the people around us and love them and, and be a neighbor to them, not ask who are my neighbors, but who needs a neighbor, when we begin to do that, then we're going to be able to not only meet their needs and help them physically, emotionally, psycho- psychologically, spiritually, but we're actually going to help their hearts to be transformed as well. They're going to become good neighbors as well. And that's an amazing thing that we get to see. You know, I, I've loved some of the things in our church. Uh, a couple months ago, Mary Acevedo, I'm like, calling her out. Uh, I didn't tell her beforehand, but she came to me and said, Hey, I got to know this, this single parent, and they don't have beds. Could we help them out? They just moved into a new place. Can we get them beds? So I was like, yeah, we have some, some money with the benevolence fund. She set up everything. And then we found somebody who had a brand new bed that had only been used once. So we got the bed to that person. Mary helped handle all of it. And, and it's just amazing to see those needs be met. And then a few weeks ago, we had a new guy that moved here and he was starting a new job and had no money. And he said, I just need some boots. I need some boots. That's the need. I need boots so I can go to work. And I was trying to get some funds for it, but then Caleb Lowe, our, our regular drummer, said, hey, I have a pair of boots in that same size. I'll give them. And it's amazing to see these little things, but as we do that, as we meet these little needs and then the bigger needs, we get to love our neighbors and then they can experience that love and be transformed by the love of God. You know, um, Melissa and I moved into a new house just a few months ago. And we were starting to get to know some of our neighbors. And one of the neighbors we met, we just found out a couple weeks ago that their daughter, who's two years old, has a brain tumor. She has a really aggressive form of brain cancer. And they were operating, I think when we talked to them, it was, they had just operated, got the brain tumor out. But it's such an aggressive form of cancer. So she's going to be on, um, in treatment for 51 weeks. It's a two-year-old girl. And, and we knew them. And, and Melissa, when she talked with, with the dad, she was able to pray with him. But then we were thinking, well, how do I help this? How do we help this family, this little girl? Because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a surgeon. I can't get the brain tumor out. I can't administer chemotherapy. I don't have the money to pay for all of that therapy. But then I was thinking, well, okay, we're told to be neighbors, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we were like, what can we do? And we offered to make a meals. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't want, no, what maybe later. But then we remembered, okay, well, we, we, when we've been in hard times, somebody gave us a gift card to a place where we could get delivery. <laughs> and we're like, let's do that for them. So we just gave them a, a gift card. And then, then a few nights later, the, the father-in-law came out, so the grandfather, and he's like, you know, thank you so much for dinner last night. And this is just a small thing, and I hope that there's more and more that we can do for this family. And there's going to be, and there have been other things, but... But, you know, we get to know our neighbors and we realize there's major needs. And and this family, as far as I know, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. But maybe I can be a light for the gospel to them. Maybe I can help them just a little bit. And I hope that we can do that for all of our neighbors. Say, can I love them as myself? Can I love them just as God loved me? Can I have compassion on them as God had compassion on me? And now let's go out and do it. Ask, am I the neighbor? Am I the neighbor? Let's pray. Lord God, um, this passage is challenging. This story is challenging because we realize that we're asking that lawyer's question. We ask, who do I have to help? How much? How far do I have to go? But you're asking us to look inside. Am I the neighbor that I'm supposed to be to these people around me? Lord God, we can never do everything. But I pray that you'd help us to do something. As you lead us with your spirit, may we go out here as better neighbors 
to be able to love others as ourselves, that we can start right where we live and that it can expand and grow. Lord God, just change our hearts. Make us more like you. And we thank you so much that you, Jesus, were both the good Samaritan and the man dead for us. And in that compassion, in that love, may we go out. In Jesus' name.